The Mercy Podcast is part of the Electronic Voice Phenomenon Strand for Liverpool Biennial 2012. It is produced by Mercy in partnership with Liverpool Biennial. For more information and to sign up for updates, visit biennial.com or mercyonline.co.uk forward slash podcasts. It's the official opening day of Liverpool Biennial 2012. I'm Vanessa Bartlett. This is podcast week number two. I am, I would like to think, a secret backdoor to the Biennial party that you can drift through every Friday afternoon at two o'clock. If you want to get in touch with me, then I'd really like to hear from you. The best way is probably via Twitter. My Twitter handle is Vanessa Bartlett. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. If you're putting on an event during the festival and you think that we need to know about it, feel free to get in touch. Today we're taking an in-depth look at the biennial theme of hospitality. I chat to members of the festival's curatorial staff and artists who are involved in the festival, but I also try to take a wider view on the subject of hospitality by thinking about what it might mean in a year when Britain has just hosted the Olympic Games. Today we're also road testing a slightly experimental feature of the podcast. You may have seen on Mercy's website that we've launched an open call for writers to contribute short text on the theme of parasite. In French, the word parasite has three translations. It can be a biological parasite, which lives on other organisms. It can be a social parasite in the form of an unwanted guest. Or it can be translated simply as noise or static. We're taking writers' response to this brief and marrying it up with sound art created by Sid Volta and releasing them unannounced across the body of our podcasts, like a parasitic workforce regularly interrupting the flow of information. On the podcast today, we've released parasites that were written by Lindsay Sekowovich and Chris Warren. Do check the Mercy website if you'd also like to contribute. summer, Britain became a host. We were promised a mega boost for the hospitality industry, an increase in tourism and an inflation of our national pride. Speaking as someone who's recently migrated to London and lived there for the duration of the Olympics, I have to say that the endless discussions of the successes and the failures of Team GB became more than a little tiresome after a while. But I do think that the Olympic event itself has embedded the notion of hospitality into the national consciousness in a way that I've never really experienced before in my lifetime. If you believe the cliché machine that seems to operate in our national press, then Britain has just hosted the greatest show on earth. (laughs) 
Obviously, the biennials chosen a theme this year that will fit with the context of the Olympics and what's happening nationally. But I think it's also really interesting to think about the theme of hospitality in relation to the history of the biennial. I can remember attending the first one in 1999 when I was a starry-eyed 16-year-old. And I can remember being quite excited that I had access to such a vast arts festival, basically right on my doorstep. I think the biennial has been crucial in changing the wider perceptions of Liverpool as a cultural city and was probably essential in gaining the capital of culture status in 2008. I caught up with one of Liverpool Biennial's curators, Lorenzo Fusi, to ask him a little bit more about his own personal perspective on the hospitality theme. Of course, the hospitality has many different um, stereotypes and cliché attached to it. I mean, it's one of those words that we do tend to look at in a very not critical way because mm-hmm. there's this assumption there is um, something good mm-hmm. and is associated with a number of good positive elements of which probably generosity is one of the main components. Um, and what I really wanted to to look at was actually at the flip side of hospitality, of what are the implications of the hospitality cycle, uh, what are the conditions that we are posing to our guests, mm-hmm. and uh, at what cost really uh, hospitality happens. Knowing that the theme for the main strand of the biennial, which Lorenzo had curated, was the unexpected guest, I asked him what he thought about the role of Liverpool Biennial in the city and its relationship to local communities. I think that the Biennial in Liverpool was the unexpected guest. It has been for the longest time the unexpected guest, up to the point that it it became part of of the overall a community consciousness that every two years the festival would have happened. But yet again, especially after the quite drastic reduction in fundings that it has been um, uh, happening, it has been performed uh, across the sectors in the art uh, throughout the countries over the last few years, all of a sudden we became unexpected again because you know it was not given for granted that we would be able to sustain ourselves uh, throughout the difficulties and uh, you know, to be able to raise sufficient funding in order to keep uh, the biennial running. We might still think of the biennial as a surprise visitor to the city in view of current funding crisis around the arts. I asked Lorenzo for his general views on what role the arts had played in the cultural regeneration of Liverpool. How the 2008 and the European capital culture phenomenon has been impacting certain um, areas of a city in order to transform the outlook, you know, the kind of the appearances of a city in order to become um, a sort of tourist destination with a, a very strong cultural emphasis, you know, has been radically transforming the perception internally, but I think also externally, of what city, the Liverpool as a city is about. In order to become seductive or adducive or attractive, you know, some of the genuine elements of Liverpool might be gradually disappearing in favour of a sort of a more international uh, pleasantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we have learned, you know, is happening in many different destinations. I mean, think about what is happening in... Uh, 
in the Emirates, for instance, where you know there's so many uh, buildings and constructions uh, happening in order to please an international audience and in order to internationalize uh, the context that they're completely uprooted from what the actual reality is about. The impact of cultural tourism on the changing face of a city reminded me of some discussions I had had about the changing state of Hackney Wick after the Olympic development. So I set out to find some people that could help me draw some parallels. The wedding present. Along one wall of the museum are a series of mounted and labelled specimens which unintentionally and exquisitely demonstrate some of nature's persistent biological interactions, symbiosis and parasitism. In the corner, inside a Victorian glass bell jar, is a Venus flower basket, Euplectella aspergillium, a light-transmitting sponge found in the deep waters around Japan. It is composed of glass fibres that are constructed from silicic acid extracted from seawater. Traditionally, the dried sponge was given as a wedding gift, as inside it is home to a pair of small symbiotic shrimp that live in the body of the sponge and feed on its waste. Young shrimp pairs search for their own basket to live in, and once they have grown, they cannot leave. Two cases along, past the corals and bryozoa, and close to the floor, are a few taller vessels containing ominous pale stretched forms, helminths, or parasitic worms. Pentastomids, or tongue worms, are blood-consuming parasites that live in the pulmonary and nasal cavities of predatory vertebrates, usually snakes. When the predator host eats the intermediate host, a fish or small mammal, the nymph of the tongue worm is released into the digestive tract and then bores into the lungs where it matures. They are rare in humans, but can be transmitted by eating raw goat or sheep meat and result in severe itching in the ears and throat and eventual death if not removed or dislodged by coughing or sneezing. You hope that your gaze will hold them still in their glass coffins. Where are we now? Is this like the main entrance? Uh, well, there's this just... is the north, northernmost tip of the site. We're about to get run over by an official Olympic bus. <laughs> um, oh, the irony of that. <laughs> Simon Ball is one of the many artists who's been responding to the Olympic site in his practice. This summer, he made a film of the parameter fence around the Olympic site in Hackney Wick. The area is, it is still kind of cut off from the rest of London. It's, uh, it's a suburb of London, really, rather than London yeah. itself. Uh, they've used, like, the borders are like train tracks, uh, waterways, existing waterways, such as the Riverley and the canals. They built it with existing borders yeah. um, that the fence has just added to, which is it's kind of funny that that's how you might imagine someone building a castle or um, some kind of military base. While chatting to Simon, it became apparent that many people had good reason to see the onward march of cultural and sporting tourism around the Olympic site as a little bit of an invasion on the city. Isaac Mamero Gilliman, 
an academic based at Birkbeck who studied artistic responses to the Olympic Games and co-edited a book called The Art of Descent, Adventures in London's Olympic State, gave me some pretty shocking information about the kind of hospitality that was afforded to original residents of the Olympic site. People who lived there, essentially, they had to go, you know, so they disappeared. I mean, they, they challenged the CPO, the compulsory purchase order procedure, some of them, but that didn't work out. After turfing people out to make way for the Olympic Park, I wondered how organisers had managed to redeem themselves in the local community. Funnily enough, it turned out that art seemed to have been a fundamental part of this process. I mean, the, the construction company, let's put it that way, because that's where the ODA essentially was, the people in charge of building the infrastructure. They also had uh, an artistic program called Art in the Park. Um, so that's interesting because I think art played an important role or was conceived as if playing an important role in terms of um, engaging with the local community, for example, something that a construction company can't really do. What I like about the site is it's still you, you still kind of get bits of history, bits of kind of more unmanaged land, um, bits of wastelands that are clues to how the site used to be kind of unmanaged, unkept, as well as a hive of kind of artists and creatives and writers who saw the site as kind of a place where time had stopped. Some cautionary words about cultural tourism, art and regeneration. But I'm aware that I'm at risk of coming across as a total pessimist and cynic. It is, after all, the opening weekend of the biennial, and some very exciting projects have been planned for the coming 10 weeks. So, back to Liverpool, I think, to hear more from Lorenzo on what he and his team have got in store. I was particularly interested in the project that's going to be at the Munro pub. That's a favourite place of mine in Liverpool. Um, so I don't know if you can just tell me a little bit more about that project. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting space for us because it is a working pub. You know, it's a, it's a radio destination. It's, it's very common that the pubs also have attached to it an inn or a, sort of a small uh, hotel or accommodation possibilities. Mm -hmm. So we are basically complementing the offer of hospitality already, you know, performed on the ground level mm. uh, by the pub with the opportunity of creating a, a space of welcoming on the upper floor, which is an inn constructed by uh, one of the invited artists, his name is uh, Marcus Carr, is a Finnish artist, and he's creating um, a series of bedrooms on the upper floor, but the, the, the bedrooms that Marcus has been constructing, they always have, an, they have a very subtle hedge to them. And, there's, and to me this is very important because in, in a way they are really welcoming space, they're very cozy spaces, but at the very same time something unexpected is happening right. in these spaces. And it takes a little bit of time to understand what is that that is happening, which is so disturbing. It's kind of inducing a sort of sense of anxiety. Mm -hmm or tension or mm -hmm. like you know some elements of uh, disruption with this kind of peaceful environment and I think that to me hospitality is about that it's like you know this kind of sense of shelter but at the very same time with an edge so I'm not going to be unveiling what is happening of course okay. into the space because otherwise you know the <laughs> surprise is going to be exactly
Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about the spooky bedrooms. As you probably realised in last week's podcast when we were talking about EVP, I really love a spooky story. It's probably because of this that I couldn't resist having a chat with another artist who's working in the Monroe pub during the biennial. Dane Mitchell is using the strange and slightly eerie equation in his work. A guest plus a host equals a ghost. It's a wallpaper, it's hand screen printed, and it, um, it, it reconfigures a Venn diagram. And you know Venn diagrams, they're kind of used, um, I guess, as, as a kind of mathematical tool and a tool for, um, for various other kinds of corporate um, kind of endeavours to sort of simplify complicated notions and look for overlaps. Repeated interlocking two circles, one, one which says guest and the other that says host. And this comes from a sort of a, an interpretation of mine of a... Of a of a, a word game by Marcel Duchamp where he, he wrote a guest plus a host equals a ghost. Uh, the second part of the project is some glassworks which I made here at St. Helens at the World of Glass with a fantastic glass blower, Sarah. And um, yeah, I, I was really interested in, in the texture of, of Liverpool, its histories, and I, was, I wanted to try and... Uh, I, I started collecting ghost stories or ghost sightings from Liverpool and there are an abundance of these and abundance of people willing to share them. And to use the glass blowing, I've uh, worked in this, uh, when the glass is molten and is attached to the glass blowing pipe, rather than blowing the glass to give it shape, I'm reading these stories into the glass. So the, the glass is given shape by the language. It's an attempt to sort of solidify something ungraspable. He pause continuously. I like to consider his bruises and scattered patches of rash as a pointless declaration of territory claimed, his pallid sags as waved rags, and take the pathetic persistence of his browbeaten lethargy as mute acceptance of defeat by a superior force. I run a direct line from his gut to mine, and glug full when he swallows snatch what little energy he dare muster as my own, exist in every groan and make him bilious. In night's fitful cradle, as the mosquito settles, I fill his weary noggin with nightmares, sitting in the wet warmth of his small intestine with my belly full, feeding and fouling, feeding and fouling, his blood running thin when I forget myself his cadaverous body racked and feverish in the grip of my greed. He fidgets skittishly, my anxious host. I sit with my feet up on his best tablecloth, fondling his wife's plump arse, brazenly enjoying the sweat I watch gather on his brow as it mats his thin hair to his head, and I mock him with a laugh I laugh too long and loud. I feel nothing but what he gives me, and so consider myself blameless, no longer know the he from I, have driven both of us mad through my necessary symbiosis. I feel nothing, of course, nor know how, though feel everything, and know not how to stop. We are George and Letty, Fred and Ginger. I lead him, limp-wristed and rag-worn, round my dance floor on bloodied feet, up and down my garden path by the hair. A tsunami is less cruel, a 
plague more mindful. I like to lead him to death's door and taunt him. Ha. Poor sod. I often wonder if I've sucked this udder dry, but try as I might, I'll never leave him. He pours continuously. In a minute, I'm going to introduce you to my good friend and talented artist, Oliver Braid, who's going to be doing a regular feature for the podcast from next week. First, though, here's some music that was suggested to me by Andrew Ellis. It's Dark Day and Uninvited Guests. By the time you join us again next week, the biennial will be running full throttle. We'll be doing our best to help you look at it from a slightly skewed and subjective perspective. Somebody who's going to give me a little hand with that over the next few weeks is a very talented man called Mr. Oliver Braid. Uh, Oliver is one of the stars of the Ellie and Oliver show, which is a sort of arty talking radio show that he runs with his flatmate Ellie Harrison from where they live in Glasgow. 
Oliver also used to live in Liverpool, and he's showing some of his work at Cave Art Fair during the biennial. So I thought he was the perfect person to bring a, a little bit of spontaneous joy to the podcast with a little featurette called Oliver Braid's Immediate Suggestion. Here's Oliver talking about that feature for our podcast on the Ellie and Oliver show last Friday. Okay, so Oliver, you're going away. I'm going away. Which is quite exciting for me because you never go away. Oh yeah, this is the first time. You've got a week. A whole week? You better enjoy it. You're going to Liverpool. I'm going to Liverpool for the opening of Liverpool Biennial 2012. That begins next Friday. That's so exciting. Uh, Yep, I'm going to be showing some new work at Cave Art Fair, which is what I'm sewing for crazily at the minute can you say a bit about what you're making or is it top secret Uh, i'm making a sincerity shoe to go for a performance that i'm also doing you can uh, book tickets for that performance (laughs) if you go to my website oliverbraid.com it's called sincerity shoe but i'm not going to say what is happening tickets are four pounds and it's at two o'clock on the 14th 15th and 16th of september wow uh but apart from that i'm also yeah going to meet and hang out with my pal Vanessa Bartlett uh, and she's a lady from London she used to live in Liverpool and she's working with Mercy and I am going to be doing some guest spots some featurettes if you will on her podcast series for the biennial Uh, I am going to be presenting some short five minute segments called Oliver Braid's Immediate Suggestion What's going to happen is me and Vanessa, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that Vanessa will take me to see different artworks that are on offer around the time of Liverpool Biennial. We'll go to see different artworks. I won't want to know anything about the artist or the artwork beforehand, I don't think. And I'm just going to come across the site yeah. and um, and um, just give <laughs> an immediate suggestion perhaps, yeah. on how different ways that you could enjoy the work. Because I know... Um, uh, a while ago when GI was here, I was talking a lot about, you know, taking the opportunity of an arts festival to use it as a Christmas for artists. Yeah. So I suppose I'll be presenting some kind of uh, idiosyncratic... Well, I read somewhere that apparently what I do is provide new, fresh lenses through which to reread contemporary art. Oliver Braid's immediate suggestion... So look forward to gazing through Oliver's fresh lenses next week. Also next week, I'll be bringing you coverage of a huge event being held at the Anglican Cathedral. Rhys Chatham will be presenting a Crimson Grail, a composition for 100 electrical guitars. If there's something else happening that you think we really ought to be covering, the best way to let us know is to send me a tweet. I'm on at Vanessa Bartlett, that's B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. 
And if you are giving us a mention on Twitter, don't forget to use the biennial hashtag, biennial2012. Finally, I should also say thank you to Simon Ball and Isaac Marmero Gilliman for talking to me about the Olympics. If you want to find out any more information about their work, you can see theartofdescent.net or you can find out more about Simon's films on simonball.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.